How's everyone doing? Good? I see some thumbs up. Man, that was a good word by Mark today. Good job. And Pastor Bart, thank you. Um, really felt like a, a good morning thus far. But let's pray, and then let's get into the message. And, uh, you know, we'll be out of here by 1130 today. So, um, yeah, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I ask that you continue to do um, the ministry that you're already doing. I pray that we would have ears to hear today, hearts postured before you uh, with fertile soil. Father, feet that want to run with obedience. Father, I ask that um, we would walk out of here with more love for you, worshiping you, not debating um, how good worship was or how good communion was or even Mark's um, word of encouragement, Father, but we would just be focused on worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going through the MCF 2030 series. Where do we hope to be in year 2030? And the way things are going, we might have some robots in the congregation by then, right? I hope not. We will destroy them. Nevertheless, as we talk about that, why, why does Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship exist? So, number one, look, we've already gone over this, but just to clarify and to keep it um, up front for us, we exist to glorify God. We exist to edify the saints, and we exist to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, that's just three points. There's many other, re many other um, sermons we could preach within that. Our church, and I'm rushing through this because I do have somewhat of a lengthy message, our church mission statement, vision statement, however um, we want to call it, is this, to lead, and equip, to lead, equip, and send out a community of hope-filled believers in Jesus Christ who genuinely experience the reality of being known by God, who believe God's word, engage in making disciples, and transform the world through the partnership of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to do here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship. You can find that on our website so you can memorize it. And if you don't have it memorized by February 1st, then we're going to automatically deduct 10% um, additional from your tithe. So if you're not tithing, we're going to add 10%. So... And if you do have it memorized, then you're a super Christian, and you're already going to give an additional 10%. So God wins every way. All right. So five things that I was able to last talk about was when, when we think about Mechanics for Christian Fellowship, what do we want? We want authentic engagement. See, with this world, with Facebook, there's no more knocking on doors. There's no more... Um, popping in. There's rarely even answering phones, right? You see a number that's not someone that you're wanting a call from, you usually just don't even answer it. It's like, oh, that's Gary. He can leave a voice message. <laughs> Gary's never called me, but I can use Gary as an example. So Gary, Gary if you call me, um, I'm busy. I, I, I want to answer it. But look, there's not authentic engagement anymore, is there? It's really, really, really hard for us to have time 
to be able to invite someone into our house for 15 to 30 minutes. And maybe that's not for all of us, but with this generation of people, that's where we're at. That's where we're headed. There's not that authentic engagement. I remember in 4-H and FFA, that's kind of what you did. You just pop in at someone's uh, farm in their barn, and then you just see if their pigs were good or not. It's like, nope, we got you beat this year. You just pop in, or you'd pop in to help this, or pop in to say hello. We don't do that as a culture anymore. So we want real community. We want real engagement. We believe in um, the invitation as a church to participate with Jesus Christ, to participate in his work. So Jesus calls us into action, not observation. Right? Amen? Jesus calls this church into action, not observation. Empowerment. We believe that, and we want to move into, in 2030, a church um, empowered by Christ. So Jesus has given us power and gifting to live a life for sharing his good news and living into his commands and making disciples. So we want to live as empowered beings with gifts, with um, the authority that he's giving us, and we want to walk that out. The other thing is we want to be a church that's willing to correct and willing to receive correction. That's really hard, isn't it? We want to be a church in 2030 that can receive correction and that can give correction because correction's kind of scary. It's kind of scary because you don't know the person, how they're going to uh, respond to what you think. But there's more into that. But our hope is that if we can give correction, then that means we've prayed about correction, we've fasted about correction, and we really care about the well-being and the truth of God for that person. We need to be a church that's willing to do that. Because the last thing that I want is for um, me to be headed in this wrong direction, right? And Mark not be willing to say, you're headed in the wrong direction. I would rather, um, someone once said, I'd rather have truth that pierces my bones than to not know truth at all. See, Jesus matters that much that we need to know the truth about a situation no matter how bad it may hurt us. We want to be a church in 2030 that welcomes that. That marks just like, Joe, you speak into my life as much as you want because, because I trust that you're praying about it. Now look, there's always going to be bones to spit out. Like, I don't like that Mark has hair. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> so Mark can spit those bones out when I judge him for being young and fresh. He's got swagger. We want to be a church that's obedient. That's what I want. I want to be obedient. I want us to be God's yes people. When I, when I, when I see God face to face one day, you know what I hope he says to me? Not only get in here, you good and faithful servant, but I hope that he says, you were my yes man. Anything that I told you, you said yes. And I hope that's for the church, that we become in 2030 God's yes people. Maybe God says, go witness to your neighbor. Yeah, God, I'll honor you. Maybe God says, give this money to this person. Yeah, God, I'll honor you. Maybe God says, get up every day 30 minutes early to um, be in prayer in relation with me. Yes, God, I'll do that. Maybe God said, instead of sitting in your same seat next Sunday, go sit in a different one. Yes, God, I'll honor you. We want to be yes people here at Mechanics for Christian Fellowship.
obedient, obedient to his word and obedient to um, things that he shares with each, uh, shares with us each day. We want to be, um, yeah. You know what? And Jesus set that example of obedience, didn't he? How far did Jesus go to, um, to set an example of obedience? He died on the cross in obedience. And sometimes I wrestle with God over being obedient about giving someone $5 or letting someone in front of me at the Chipotle line. Lord, you know, you know I need some help right now. We wrestle with those things, but Jesus set the example of loving us so much that he was willing to die on the cross for us. Not my will, but your will be done, Father. And ultimately, in 2030, for this place, this community to be a thriving uh, church, to be a thriving people that surrendered before God, we need to value his word. You have to value God's word. So those are things that um, as we're in this 2030 series, we'll continue to remind you about. But in that same vein, um, there's so much flooding into my heart with just where the world is, where the um, culture is, where this region is today. And... Um, it's probably not going to be A to B to C today. It's probably just going to be a lot of stuff. And I'm okay with that because there's a lot of good stuff in here because it's God's word. So um, we want to see God move, right? More than we want to see God move, I feel like during this season, there's, there's so much going on within the world that we feel pulled hundreds or thousands of different directions, right? Can I get a witness? Anyone? Anyone feel pulled hundreds of directions? It's like, even when we go to church, church becomes a direction that we have to go, and we put church in the same direction as our laundry, and then we put laundry in the same direction of getting our car washed and um, feeding our dogs, and we just have these lists of things that we have to do where our heart feels so divided because we're so busy with things. I can't imagine kids, right, having kids right now and soccer games and basketball games and potty training and showering and teaching them to brush their teeth. Like, I can't imagine. I remember once, just a cliff note, I used to brush my teeth like this. <laughs> I would shake my head. My parents needed to teach me a lot. I can't imagine being pulled in all those areas, right? See, right now, I have the awesome opportunity to uh, love on Macy, to love on a church, and then to make sure that the dogs don't destroy the house. That's enough. <laughs> we don't know if Joey's going to be able to be a pastor if he has kids. <laughs> Pray for me. Can you guys relate to that, though? There's all these directions, all this stuff going on within your heart to where you just feel really, 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 really divided. Now, what I've been thinking about a lot lately is in Matthew 24 and verse 12. It says this, in the end of time. It's talking about the end of time, right? In the end of time, you know, we talk about wars and rumors of wars. We talk about um, natural disasters, we talk about um, the end. 
Scripture talks about the end. But what we see here in verse 12 is this, is because of increased wickedness, the hearts of many will grow cold. You know what my prayer's been for the past five years? God, don't let my heart grow cold. God, don't let my heart grow cold. Don't let my passion grow cold. Don't let my flame grow cold, Father. Now it says, because of increased wickedness. I'm not saying we're in the end of time. I'm not saying we're whatever. We know that the day's nearer, right? But I'm seeing Christians' hearts grow cold. I'm seeing the things that Christians used to want to do, used to uh, value doing, used to do for free. It's now become a place within them that's more of a um, stumbling block. I'm seeing Christians' hearts grow cold. I'm seeing church become an obligation. I'm seeing small groups become an obligation. I'm seeing fellowship become an obligation. I'm seeing... I'm seeing reading the word become an obligation rather than a get-to. Rather than this place and this posture before God that just says, yeah, God, use me. God, thank you. You know, it's like you, you had that moment where you gave your life to Christ wherever you did it, at home, at a conference, at church, in a small group, wherever it was, and there was this passion that welled up within you. And I see hearts growing cold. And then above all else, I mean, above all the uh, national disasters, natural disasters, the one thing that leads me to say we might be in the end of time, this isn't a doom and gloom message, I promise. But the one thing that might have me there is the fact that I see Christians' hearts growing cold. That's what I see. Now, here's the thing. Because of increased wickedness, didn't do a lot of in-depth research. I didn't go search the Greek, the Hebrew. I just took it as, as I read it, and I want to present just a couple things here. So, so maybe what the Scripture's alluding to is, yeah, Christians are growing more wicked. You Christians are just doing bad things. Because of the increased wickedness of Christians, then um, their hearts are growing cold. But the way that it could also mean is because of the increased wickedness, right, my heart's growing cold. And how many Christians, how many people are going to leave church today, or you better not leave church today that way, but how many people leave situations and because of the wickedness of the world, that then causes you to grow cold. So you go to work, right? And work's just a mess. And all you do at work is just complain about these people. This person's stupid, and that person's stupid, and they have no experience, and and I have all the experience in the world, and if you just do it my way, wickedness, because of their wickedness, now you're growing cold. And then you come to church, and you're like, well, that person's just gossiping and talking about me, and that person won't ever serve, and that person, and that person, and, and you won't believe what that Christian was doing. You won't believe it. I saw him speeding, and not only did he have heavy foot, I think he might have flipped someone off. He didn't do that, no. But because of that wickedness, my heart's growing cold. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's not that 
though we are wicked, it's, it's not even necessarily that we're willing to take ownership of our wickedness. We're putting all the blame on the increased wickedness of the world. Because of the increased wickedness of the world, my heart is growing cold. And at the end of the day, I can't put the blame on other people. I can't put the blame on my boss at work or the way that someone doesn't like me or, or what this church member did or didn't do. I have to have a posture before God that says, God, all I want is you. All I want is you. Speak truth to me. Speak truth to me, God. I don't want to be in rebellion anymore. I don't, I don't want to be cold. That scares me. I don't want to be cold. I want to be on fire, God. It's happening. Does anyone see that? Does anyone see church people's hearts growing cold? Now, can, can you resonate with that a little bit that it just feels like church stuff is getting harder? Is it only me or do you guys feel that way? Now, I know there's some people who are just on fire in here today and they really want to be used. And God bless you and, and do everything you can to protect that fire. But when I talk to people in, in different states and when I talk to people in different regions in Ohio, the same thing's happening with them. They're saying it just seems harder, it seems harder, it seems harder, it seems harder. Well, what about your friends? It seems harder for them. Do you, do you sense within your own heart that something's changed, that something's shifted, that it's harder for you over the past five years to really, really, really lay down your life for Christ? I've been praying it for five years because I, I recognized it five years ago. What the privilege it is to have religious freedom to be able to walk about the streets and share the good news of Jesus. What a privilege it is to be able to serve in a church. What an honor it is that, that Jesus Christ would be obedient to the cross for our sins. I can't let that coldness, I can't let that bitterness, I can't let my opinion steal from my salvation one day. Or better yet this, when my heart's cold, guess who I'm only worried about? Me. Fix me, right? Because I'm so cold, all I'm worried about is fixing me. And if I'm only worried about fixing me, how can I share the good news of Jesus to anyone else? I can't. Nevertheless, see a generation that is obsessed with needing to be heard, right? They need to be understood. I see a generation that articulates success by, um, by numbers, by audience sizes, by bigger buildings. See um, a generation that limits ministry to entertainment and how it made you feel. A generation that doesn't listen to correction, doesn't like truth. Where they're, where, you know, that, that is the question. Where's their deep sorrow for God in this generation? Where's their deep sorrow for people within this generation? 
where is there within this church? I think it's here, but, but how, do we, how do we bring that to the surface? I mean, there's hurting people. I saw an article this morning that a uh, sixth grader in Urbana, a basketball player, had died. Rock the community. A sixth grader. I don't know how he died. He had 300 shares already. You know that's a lot on Facebook for, for this area. Sixth grader. There's families that are rocked right now. Deep sorrow. Where's the deep sorrow for those people? Where's the deep sorrow for the person that you're sitting next to? And I think what's really unique is, is within this generation, we say we have deep sorrow, but all we do is just pursue entertainment to try to fill our own needs. You know, of all the Netflix series that we've watched, imagine if we were to take 10% of all the Netflix series that we've watched and prayed. Just 10%. Some of you guys might have days of prayer then. I'm serious. I need to catch my law and order tonight. My friends. Sorrow. Deep Deep sorrow. See, we have a generation. We even have a region. You know, our region actually talks a lot about revival. A lot of pastors that I talk to, revival's coming and re revival this. And they have, res have this revival talk. Revival's not coming until we're willing to lay down our lives to Christ again. Until we're willing to say, Jesus, you can have it all. All to Jesus, everything. Deep sorrow, gut-wrenching surrender. We have a generation that doesn't care that God's spiritual Jerusalem is offering itself in marriage to the world. You know what God's spiritual Jerusalem is? The church. And further than that, we don't even have a church that really cares. And I'm not saying when I say church, I mean church not MCF specifically, but we have a church that doesn't even care that they're offering themselves in marriage to the world. It's all coming back to hearts are growing cold. The church seems blind to lukewarmness. We have forgotten about what it means to be single-minded in Christ. We have forgotten what it means to just fall on our face before God. And give him everything. There is such a coldness passing through the church. And this coldness has taken the fight out of many people. You realize that? No more fight. So, the point of all of that was to say this. We have to get back to the place as a congregation and as, a, as people that it's soul devotion to Christ. Soul devotion to him. Him alone above everything else. It reminds me when Paul um, is talking to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 11. He says this, But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
just as Eve was led astray, Paul's worried about the false teachings and doctrines that are going on. So he's speaking to Corinth and he's saying, look, I'm afraid that just as lead was, lead, Eve was led astray, your heart might be headed there as well. Your heart might be headed there as well. My heart might be headed there as well. Just as Eve was deceived, my heart. And that's where the fear of God comes back into play. Because we walk about life just so happy-go-lucky. Everything's good. And we forget about the fear of God. Wait a second. I, my, my, heart, my heart could be led in a wrong direction. And I don't want to face God if my heart's been led in a wrong direction. I don't want to be led astray. I don't want to lose my pure devotion. There's no place I'd rather be than in a fluent, um, sincere relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. Fluent, sincere, intimate. So I ask you today, where is your soul devotion? Now look, if you are being pulled in a thousand different directions, guess what? Your soul devotion is nowhere. It's not. God above everything else. Why well, I have to do this before I can hang out with God, and I have to do this before I can hang out with God, and I have to do this before I'll, I'll read my Bible, and I have to do this before I'll encourage a brother or sister. What are you really solely committed to? Are you fully devoted to anything? Or are you so focused on fixing everything in your life? Fix, fix, fix. So if you were to die today, right? And you go see God. Would God be like a distant uncle to you? Like you know him, but it's kind of awkward to talk to him. Or would God be this father because you have such soul devotion to him that, that you wake up and you pray to him, that at lunch you want to spend time with him, that, that in the evening you're reading his word because you just want to know his heart, not to do your Christian duty. That if you were to die today and see him, that he would be a faithful father to you that you'd be expecting this, this hug or, or to continue in the conversation that you were having? Or would he just be like this uncle that you're like, oh, so that's, that's, that's what you're like. Hmm, this is awkward. See, I want us as a congregation, as people, to put our foot in the ground and say, God's gonna be my faithful father. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, he's gonna be. If that, means, if that means Mark has to rebuke me, if that means Mark has to rebuke me, if that means Ron needs to wake me up, who's Ron in comparison to God? Who's Mark and Mark in comparison to God? Like, I would rather, I would rather them keep me accountable to the sole devotion that I'm supposed to have with Christ than to one, one day not be in eternity with God forever. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's it. It's Jesus. 
See, we have to be careful that we haven't signed up for God answering to us rather than us answering to God. That's where we get frustrated. We, we try to make God answer us rather than us answer to him. See, when you give your life to Christ, you surrender all of your rights. Do you remember that? We just sang a song about it. I give you everything. When you give your life to Christ, you surrender all of your rights. That means you're hurt, your judgment, your opinions, your fleshly values, your resources, everything that you have, you give to him. I heard someone say, it was easy for God to create the heavens and earth. Really easy. He did it. He spoke it into existence. It was easy for him. But they said, it was costly for him to send his only son to die on the cross for your sins. Easy to create, costly for your sins to be forgiven. Some might even say that it cost God everything for the atonement of our sins. And we won't give soul devotion to him. God, don't let my heart grow cold. Don't let my heart grow cold because you are willing to send your only son so that I can live freely forever. That I will live with no more pain, no more suffering. So what does single-mindedness, soul devotion look like, right? I was watching this documentary recently, and in this documentary, it talked, um, it talked about the Chi Chinese underground church. And actually in China, um, they have seminaries that they can send people to. So people sign up for these seminaries. They commit to these seminaries for two years. And then many of them, they said, take a one-way ticket to the Middle East after graduation, knowing that they probably will never come back. Praise God. They do what's illegal within their nation to pursue Jesus. They go to seminary that's illegal within their nation, and then they take a one-way plane ticket to the Middle East to present the love of Jesus Christ. Soul devotion. Soul devotion. And what I wanted to pick on my dad this morning, and you guys will understand why. Um, but if I, dad, if I were to ask you right now, I said, Dad, I need, I need, I don't, but I need three hundred dollars to make a payment for something that I'm behind on. Would you give it to me? He would. He'd do whatever he'd do whatever he needed to do. Dad, the church needs three hundred dollars. Will you give three? You guys all feel that, right? I could ask any one of you right now, or most of you. Why is it that the, our, our, yeah, God, I give you soul devotion, but I'll meet my earthly son's needs before I'll respond in obedience to what you're uh, asking me to do to the unknown. See, I think that's, that's the scary thing is like, Dad, the way that you love me, Christ loves you so much more and he wants even better things for you. Likewise with all of us. Why is it that, that within the flesh we say that, that we have soul devotion, we have soul devotion to God? 
but will meet the physical needs of people, which is devotion to God as well. So you are loving God as you love people. But when there's other needs, it's like, ooh, that $300, I don't know how they're going to spend it. We all have that. So, single-mindedness on Christ. What does that look like? So what did Jesus create around him? What culture did Jesus create around him about being single-minded? What culture do we want to see here at MCF in 2030 or even by 2020 geared around single-mindedness? So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. We got a lot of scripture and we're we're still going to be out of here on time, which is good. So Luke chapter 9 verse 23. This is fun. Then he said to all, sorry, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. And when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow, take up their cross and follow me. I want to be one of Christ's disciples. But I have to be willing to pick up my cross and die daily. Whoever wants to save their life must, life must lose it. What are things that you're grabbing onto in your life that's actually stealing life from you rather than adding to it? Christ wants you to lose it all. Him and Him alone. Am I saying go sell your house that your family lives in? No. Am I saying be willing to if God calls you to? Yes. Am I saying be willing to give up every dream that you've ever had? Your career, your um, vacation spots, whatever it may be? Yes. If Christ wants you to give it up, you must be willing to let go of everything that he asks. That's a high price, isn't it? God, don't let my heart grow cold. God, don't let my heart grow cold. And the goal of life isn't to make it through life, is it? The goal of life isn't even to just know how to operate life. I wake up this day, make my coffee, this is how I do things. The goal of life should be to intimately walk with Jesus Christ. That's your goal. Nothing short of that. Luke 9, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, 
Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me uh, bury my father. Then Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Still, um, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Aren't those three reasonable requests? See, as Christians, what we often do is we often have reasonable requests before God that then brings justification for why we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing yet. Amen? These are three reasonable requests How often, because our hearts are heading in the wrong direction, do we present reasonable requests unto Christ to justify us from not living out the call that he's placed on our life? God, let me me go to a family member's funeral. Right? Father, let me do it. Let let, Let me at least just go say bye to my family. Let me go home and tell Macy that I'm going to follow you. But you're not fit for the plow if you want to look back. See, the culture that Jesus is creating about soul devotion is eyes locked on him. Eyes locked on him. You can't look back. No looking back. Eyes locked on him. God, I trust you. I don't like it, but I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. And there's chaos over here and there's chaos over there. And even for Lot's wife, man, there was so much chaos going on behind her, right? Imagine fire from heaven destroying a place. Chaos. Memories. Family. Eyes locked in a direction. Luke 14. 25 through 33. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, um, and does not hate father or mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's harsh, Jesus' words. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the costs to see if there's enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundations and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying the per, uh, this person began, uh, began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose... A king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation. While the other is, is still um, a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. What culture is Christ creating? One that you lay down everything for him. 
Everything else, as we've said before, pales in comparison to who he is. Is he telling me to hate Macy? No, not at all. He wants me to love her and support her and do, he wants me to love her the way that he loves the church, give up everything for her. But you know what he's saying? Joey, you love her and you love me. And if you love me up here, you're gonna love her really well. And you're gonna be willing to lay down your life for her. You must be willing to give up everything. Soul devotion. I don't have time for cold heart anymore, do I? Luke 16, in the worship team, you guys can come on up. Luke 16, verse 13. What does Jesus say about a culture that's solely committed on him? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can only serve one of two masters. See, there's God and then there's everything else. God and everything else. When God, when Jesus is trying to create a culture within uh, his disciples, within his people, the way that he sees it, single-mindedness on him, a life that's surrendered. That if, if God came to you and said, hey, Joey, give your shoes away right now, I'd just be willing to do it. I could say, practically, God, how am I supposed to walk across the rocks and get into my car and it's really cold? It doesn't matter. I can serve one to two masters. And if I'm serving God, my heart and my actions are solely on him. You realize this, Jesus doesn't want just a little bit of you. He wants all of you. Every bit of you he wants. It's not about just loving him in your thoughts. It's not about just loving him in your Christian rhetoric, right? It's actually about offering him your whole being. And I've seen a church a regional church, I've seen a local church lose sight of that soul devotion. Lose sight of that single-mindedness. I do not see revival, renewal, or life coming to a church and to a region, to the nations until we're willing to lay down our life to him once again, to give him everything, to re-up, to say, God, you know what? I've been holding back. I've been trying to fix my own life. I've been trying to fix my own things. I give you everything again, everything. $50 here, $20 there. Inviting someone over for dinner, giving someone a hug, sending someone a card, reading the word, Confessing your sins. God, I give you everything. A Christ-centered culture that, um, that there's only one king, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what a Christ-centered culture is. See, he created that culture where there's one king, Jesus. 
And nothing's changed today for the church. There's one king for the church. You know who that is? Jesus Christ. Some of us today need to come to the altar. I'm not even giving it as like an offer. I'm saying some of us today or many of us today need to come to the altar. It's not a magical place, but it is a place of surrender. We need to let God know um, that you're not what you once were. God, I'm not what I once was. My passion, my zeal, my soul devotion, it's, it's waffle. You're not who you want to be. You're not who Christ wants you to be. And you want to lay down to him once again. See, what gets us so messed up is when we think about church, you know what we think about? God, I'm not where I want to be because I'm not happy. And I'm not happy because this isn't easy. And nothing about the Christian walk is easy when you actually read the word. So what did you sign up for? Did you sign up to be happy and things be easy? Or did you sign up for the true gospel? That you're willing to lay down your life to Christ no matter what. So we're going to sing another song. And I'm going to pray. And um, you guys respond. You guys respond and ask God to help you be solely committed to him once again. Soul devotion. Don't be, if you sense any lukewarm within you, if, if you sense um, your heart growing cold, if you've been cold, today's your day. Today is your day to respond at the altar and give God everything. So Father, ask in Jesus' name right now that, that you would... Uh, would stir up within us boldness with no excuses father no excuses right now let the dead bury the dead father no excuses may we just respond in submission to you in honor of you father in Jesus name amen so as God's working on your heart respond respond at the altar Today's declaratively a new day for you. God, I want to give you more. Then just raise your hands with me as we pray. Father, we offer ourselves to you to new degrees and new levels today. Help our hearts not grow cold. Father, may your blood pour over our minds, over our bodies, Father. Thank you for forgiving our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you guys need some prayer, then um, the elders would love to be available to pray with you guys.